Amen. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Mike. Well, please turn your Bibles to 1 John with me. In 1 John, we've seen some things about how we know we're in relationship with God and how we know we're in relationship with others. We've seen that there's a truth test. There are truths about God. A person who's in relationship with him needs to know and affirm. There's an obedience test we've seen in 1 John that if you are going to say you're in relationship with God, there should be some things that are true of your life. And there's a love test. If it's true that you're in a relationship with God, it's going to affect how you're in a relationship with other believers. And we're continuing looking at a passage this morning and next week that deals with the love test. We're looking at verses 11 through, uh, 11 through 15 of 1 John chapter 3 this morning. We're going to look at verses 16 through 18 next week. But uh, as you stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together, I'm going to read that, that whole passage, the passage we're looking at this week and next. And so if you're able, you stand with me. 1 John chapter 3, looking at verses 11 through 15 this week, going to read verses 11 through 18. And here's what John writes. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read just the last part of verse 10 that we looked at last week. Remember, he's talking about how we know whether someone is a child of God or a child of devil and, uh, the devil. And he says in the end of verse 10, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. Let's pray. And Father, thank you for this word. We pray that you would speak truth to us. We, we pray, Father, that you would soften our hearts. There are some hard truths here, and it's been very, very easy to deflect when it comes to some of these things. And so help us to be honest as we assess who we are and who we need to be in you. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin looking at 1 John 5, I want to actually read a couple verses from Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, I think we encounter some truths here that I, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that these are some of the most important verses for us to understand in Matthew chapter 5 in order to help us worship rightly. The verses here that I'm about to read are fundamental to helping us understand whether or not our worship of God is is right or not. In fact, I would argue, and I don't think this is too strong of a statement, but I'd argue that, that some of us this morning are not prepared to worship God rightly. And in fact, some of us have not been prepared to worship God rightly 
for years. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says to his brother, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. There's so much we can glean from these verses, but let me just kind of give a couple ideas. What I think that we glean from this in terms of understanding worship is that my relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ is immensely important. If I am not in right relationship with my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, and the reason I'm not in a relationship is at least partly my responsibility, I'm not prepared to rightly worship God. If there's a relational breach in the community of faith and in God's covenant community, it's a big deal. I'm brought into relationship with God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, alone. Laying my, my, myself before Him, asking for His forgiveness. And God graciously, when I, when I do that, when I place my faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, and ask for His forgiveness, God graciously grants it. He's able to graciously grant it because of His sacrificial love for me. And a person who's in right relationship with God is going to, to manifest that in the relationships with others. And a person who doesn't, John is going to say, is a hater. And hatred will destroy a church. It will destroy you. And my encouragement to you this morning is not to be too quick to say that you're not a hater. In other words, don't say, hey, you know, I understand that maybe I don't love perfectly, but, but I'm no hater. Let me just encourage you, hold judgment on that thought for a little while. We're going to be partaking of the Lord's Supper together, Lord willing, at the end of our time. And so by, by that time, there, there may be some opportunity for us to, to confess some things to God and say, hey, I, I don't want these, these hard attitudes to be true of me, and, and so confess that. But here, here's what I want us to do. We're going to ask the question, what does it mean to hate my brother? How do I know that I'm a hater? What are the characteristics of a person who hates his or her brother, his or her sister? And as we look at these characteristics, we're going we're to see John kind of walk us through several truths that, that I think will be convicting for, for all of us. So let, let's do that, okay? Let's do that. And ask the question, what does it mean to hate my brother and here's the first characteristic that I think we see as we ask the question, what does it mean to hate my brother? First of all, it means that I am a murderer. Okay? Strong words. Listen to what John says. 
He says in, in verse 11, this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And first part of verse 12, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Now, now what is John saying? He begins in verse 11 by, by giving us this positive instruction. It's going to be the instruction that kind of gives us a structure to the rest of the message today and, and, and tomorrow or next week. All these things are kind of related to this instruction, love one another. He, he says here much the same thing that he said in chapter 2 when he said, this is the message you've heard from the beginning. This is, the, this is not a new commandment, he said in chapter 2. And, and what he's saying here is this idea that Christians are to love each other isn't some, some novel idea. It's not a surprise. Paul would have written to these same believers as he wrote the book of Ephesians years earlier, and he would have told them in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so Paul told these Ephesians, look, uh, these people in Asia Minor, look, God has given you this instruction to love others and You love because God loved you. He gave himself up for you. And and that same type of love is to characterize your love for others. Love for other believers is marked by sacrifice, by sacrificial care and concern. Next week, we're not going to get to it right now, but but next week as we start verse uh, uh, 16, he's going to say, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Love in Scripture, biblical love, is marked by sacrifice. And John is saying, here's the instruction you need to love each other. He's talked about love before, but this is the t- first time he uses the phrase uh, one another. He's going to use it several times in 1 John. Chapter 3, verse 23, he's going to say this is com- his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Chapter 4, verse 7, he's going to say, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. A person who, who, who loves has been loved of God. Manifest that love in other relationships. Verse 11 of chapter 4, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So biblically, what this means is that every single one of us in here has the obligation to love each other. You and I need to love each other. Our relationship needs to be marked by sacrificial care for each other. That's option A. Now, here's option B. John says, we should love each other, and we shouldn't be like who? Who's he saying in verse 12? Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Okay, I don't know about you, but to me, it seems like John has really limited my options there. And, and maybe it, it seems like a little unfairly. I mean, John, our, option A is to love sacrificially. Option B is to be like a murderer. It, it seems like there should be some steps along the way, some other options. Okay, it's so like first option, of course, is to love. But, you know, I'm not going to love everybody. And so maybe option two is like be friendly toward people. You know, kind of say hi to people occasionally and talk nicely to them. Option three might be to kind of politely avoid some people I don't like. Option four might be to kind of feel a little bit of unpleasantness about some. Some people occasionally feel, I mean, that seems like 
a, a legitimate option. And then maybe there's another option where I'm, I'm angry. I mean, you know, we all get angry, so I'm kind of angry at people. And then, then option, you know, on down the line is like, you know, yelling at people every now and then. And, and then murder, okay? Like that's, that seems way down there. And I, I don't know about you, but uh, the people that I've actually purposely murdered is zero, okay? Purposely. Never happened. The, the people that I, that I want to is, is even just slightly, slightly larger, but still very small. No. Still zero. Let's be clear. Zero. So why, why the two options? What is John getting at here? here? Here's what John is saying. Look, option A, you love sacrificially, completely. Option B, you're like Cain, a murderer. We're going to get more into this in, in just a moment, but, but what I think he's saying is, is this. Love is marked by sacrificial care for one another, giving up yourself for the benefit of another. The only alternative, really, if you think about it, the only alternative to sacrificially caring for another person is selfishly caring for yourself. And once you make the decision, because every relationship at some point there's going to be that moment you have to decide whether to benefit them or you. And at the moment, we'll talk more about this in a moment, but at the moment that you've decided to selfishly con- concern yourself with yourself, you've started down a path. What does it mean to hate my brother? The first thing John tells us, it means that I'm a murderer. He says you shouldn't be like, like Cain, who murdered his brothers, of the evil one. John 8, 44 says that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. Cain murdered his brother. He was of the evil one. Don't be like him. In fact, turn to Genesis chapter 4. Let's look at Cain just for a moment here. In Genesis chapter 4, we read the story of the birth of Cain and, and Abel. They're the two sons of Adam and Eve. And verse 2 of Genesis chapter 4 says that Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And so from an outsider's perspective, just reading that verse, you think, well, I guess both of them are engaged in in worship of God. Both of them are somehow trying to approach God and, and offer sacrifices to him. But we read something very disturbing. It says, for Cain... The Lord had, had no regard for his offering. Cain is approaching God in a way other than the manner in which God has prescribed. We know in Scripture that without the shedding of blood, there's, there's no forgiveness. And so apparently, we, we don't know the exact instructions that God had given Cain and Abel in regards to their sacrifice, but, but Cain is violating Something about how God has said he is to be worshipped. Cain says, hey, I'm engaging in worship of God, but he's not engaging in worship of God the way that God has said he's to engage in worship of him. He's creating his own religion. And God isn't happy about it, is he? It says that Cain responds to the Lord's disfavor. This way, verse 5, Cain was very angry and his face fell. So here's Cain. 
He desires to have a relationship with a God on his own terms, and so he worships this God on his own terms in his own ways, and and God doesn't find that a satisfactory way of worship. And so Cain, instead of responding in repentance and turning from this path, he becomes angry. He becomes, his face falls. There's a displeasure that Cain has, and his displeasure is because he is not getting what he desires. His desire is for God to find him acceptable on his own terms. God doesn't do that, and so Cain gets angry. And God confronts Cain in his anger, doesn't he? He says, look, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Why are you responding this way? If you do well, if you do what I have instructed you to do, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, Sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. Cain doesn't, does he? We read next that he he murders his brother. He speaks to Abel in the field. When they're in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know him. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Here's what we see in Cain. Cain is one who is not in relationship with God. He may do some things that are similar to what one in a relationship with God would do, but he is not in true relationship with God. And his lack of relationship with God manifests itself in self-centeredness. Instead of sacrificial love for others, that's a reflection of the love that he's received from God, Cain's life is marked by self-centeredness, and that self-centeredness Manifest that, that heart of self-centeredness manifests itself in jealousy, in hatred, in rage, in murder. Why does John only present two options to us here? Why does he say, love one another, don't be like a murderer? I think he's trying to shock us out of complacency and help us understand that murder is a big deal. Hatred is a big deal. A few years ago, I think it was the fall of 2002, you, you may remember there was a, an incident where there was a, like a, a sniper on the loose in the Washington, D.C. area, the, the Beltway Sniper, they were calling him, and, and, and people were, were being killed by this, this person driving around, and eventually they found out that it was a, a man, and a 17-year-old young man, and it had taken a, a car and drilled a little hole in the trunk and were going around shooting people. But you can remember the, remember the, the terror that people were feeling who, who lived in the area. I remember Whitney's aunt and uncle were, were in the area at the time. There's just kind of this, this fear of, of this, this unknown person randomly killing people. If there was a, a murderer in our church, if there was a, a person who was on a rampage in our church killing people, we would all think that's a pretty big deal, right? If you were in a situation which you were encountering someone killing other people in our church, you'd 
hopefully lay down your life for others, you'd say, man, I need to sacrifice myself. I need to, to care for the people who are, who are in danger. There, there are things that you would do, drastic measures you would take in order to protect the church. The presence of strife, the presence of gossip, of hate, a big deal in Bethany Community Church. It's dangerous. It will kill us. What does it mean to hate my brother? What does it mean to hate my brother? It doesn't just mean I'm not doing what I ought to do. It's not, boy, sure hope I can improve on that someday. It means I am a murderer. I'm like Cain. I'm of the evil one. What does it mean to hate my brother? It means I'm a murderer. It's a big deal. That's the first thing we see. Here's the second thing. Here's the second thing this means. First of all, it means I'm a murderer. Secondly, it means my, my heart is producing evil. It means my heart is producing evil. And, and what I'm trying to get at here is, okay, the first thing this means, it means, it means I'm a murderer if, if I hate. So, so what does it mean that, that I hate? What, what's, what's characteristic of this heart of hate? And, and many of us would say, okay, I, I know that I have some relational problems that exist in my life, but I wouldn't use the word hate. I don't like the word hate. That sounds so mean. I, I'm certainly not a hater. L- let's listen to what God's word says about the heart that produces hate, the heart of a murderer. Here's what... John tells us about Cain. We shouldn't be like him. He was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And, and then he gets to motive. Why did he murder him? What, what within Cain caused him to, to take his brother's life? It says, well, because, because of his deeds. And these deeds are manifested by his heart, right? His own deeds were evil and his, his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Now, what I think John is getting at here is the same idea we see throughout Scripture. Do I have the heart of a murderer? Well, do I have a heart of a person who hates? What is, what is coming out of my life? What sort of fruit is being manifested? Listen to what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Jesus would say in Matthew 12, 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. What is in our heart is manifested in our actions. It's manifested in the things that we say. It's manifested in how our relationships are. And remember, John is giving us two options. Either you have a, a heart that has been transformed by the gospel, that is, that is doing good, that is sacrificial, that is loving towards others because of the love you have received through Christ, or you have the heart of, of selfishness, which is ultimately the heart of a murderer. Listen to what James says in James chapter 4. The same idea, same idea or at least very, very similar. He says in James chapter 4, he's, he's talking about dissension and, and hatred and, and all these things, and, and he says, what causes this? Sa- same question John asked. Why did Cain murder? 
what causes dissension, what causes hatred, what causes quarrels and fights among you. It's this. Your passions are at war within you. You desire, you don't have, and so you what? Murder. You covet, cannot obtain, so you fight, you quarrel. John has given us two options. John has given us two options. Two, two heart attitudes here. Either I have a heart that's been transformed by gospel and, and it manifests itself in, in, in love for other believers. Love, love, love. Or I have a heart of, of self-centeredness and my relationships with, with other believers is ultimately marked by dissension of some kind which, which ultimately is hatred, which ultimately is the same heart that, that produces murder. There's not a myriad of options here. What does it mean for me to hate my brother? It, it means that I'm, I'm a murderer. It means that I have a heart that's producing evil toward my brother or sister in Christ. Okay, so here, here's something I want to do. I want to talk about some indications, j- just, some, just some examples of, of what it means for me to, to have this type of, of self-centered heart, how this is going to manifest itself in, in relationships and, and, and what sort of attitudes I'm going to have toward others. But let me be careful here, okay? Um, here's the temptation. Now, maybe you're way more righteous than me, but, but here's, the, here's the temptation I would have. I'm going I'm to list some characteristics. And the temptation is to think, man, that is a really great point for my friend. I really wish my brother was here because this is exactly the type of attitude he struggles with. I hope, I hope my spouse is listening to this because her sister, <laughs> man, this describes her to a T. If we can get through every single one of these characteristics and you have like eight names of people you think this really applies to and yet it doesn't really seem like it's all that applicable to you, there's a problem, right? Call me. We'll talk. We'll commiserate together in love. So here they are, okay? But these, these, are, these are self-directed first and foremost. And, and of course, if there's someone else in your life that you think maybe this applies to, if it's in love, I'm sure that God will give you opportunity to, to, to pray for them as well. But this is, this is a really preparation for our time of communion as well. Think about this. So here are indications. How, how do I know? I'm, I'm thinking of a brother. I'm thinking of a sister. How do I know if, I'm, I'm, if I have this heart of hatred toward them? Here's one. Number one. My thoughts about him are critical and judgmental. I think about this brother, and and I don't think positive things about this person. As I think about this person, my thoughts are very negative. They're very judgmental, not judgmental in the sense of of determining what's right or wrong, but, but ascribing motives to that person. Thinking things like, that person will never change, or I know that I should tell them about this, but I know how they'll react, I know what they'll do. This person always acts this way. You know what 1 Corinthians 13 tells us? It tells us love, love believes all things and hopes all things. And so, of course, it's, it's perfectly reasonable for me to see things in, in my life or my brother's or sister's life that, that needs to change. Of course that's going to happen. But if, if my attitude towards them is, is, is critical and judgmental and that's, that's my dominant thoughts toward that person, that is not a good sign. That's not a good sign, is it? Number two, number two, 
As I think about her, I, I'm fearful that she will take advantage of me. I'm fearful that that, that sister in Christ is going to take advantage of me. I, I know how she gets, and if I, if I act loving toward her, if I act sacrificial toward her, I know she's going to take advantage of it. And I hate it when she takes advantage of me. She walks all over me. If that's a fear driving you, that is not a good sign. In fact, l- let me read you something Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. An illustration he gives that is, that is just very important for us to grasp. 1 Corinthians 6. Paul says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? In other words, two people, you and I are engulfed in this this conflict, and maybe it's a financial matter, and, and I take you to court. I sue you. He says, uh, why do you do that? Why do you go to the, the unrighteous, the court system, instead of dealing with it in the church? Don't you know that the saints will judge the world? and goes on to describe that. He says in verse 4, So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, but brother goes to law against brother, and that is before unbelievers, and that before unbelievers. In other words, the very presence of, of these, these conflicts among you is shameful. And the fact that you're taking what should be a, inside the church matter and taking it to others, it, it's just it's, it's bringing shame upon the name and the glory of God. And here's the potential objection that people have to Paul as he says this. Well, yeah, but if I, if I don't take it to the court system, Perhaps I'll lose out. The church may tell this brother to, to do even exactly what I agree he should do, and he won't do it. I, I need the, the force of the court. And here's what Paul says. These are strong words. This is a great illustration of this principle. Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. And then he asks two very profound questions that should shape our relationship with one another. Why not rather suffer wrong, why not rather be defrauded? If I'm in a relationship with you that's supposed to be marked by love, why not rather be defrauded? As opposed to turning down this very dangerous, self-centered path of a fear that I'm going to be defrauded, of a fear that you're going to take advantage of me, why not rather practice sacrificial love and say, you know what, I would far rather be defrauded by you than to pursue my own self-interest and to defame the name of the God who's shown me love. If I'm fearful that you're going to take advantage of me, I'm not loving you. It's a heart. It's a heart of, of evil, heart-producing evil, hatred. And third characteristic, so my thoughts are critical, judgmental. I'm fearful that she'll take advantage of me. Number three, I'm bothered if he gets something he doesn't deserve. I think about this guy that kind of gets out under my skin, and, and suddenly I have this amazing perception of, of divine justice and, and what should happen and what shouldn't happen. And the fact that he doesn't, that he's getting something he doesn't deserve bothers me. Fourth characteristic. Fourth characteristic, and, and this is dark, okay? This is dark. I, I want her to suffer misfortune of some kind. I have this 
sister in Christ, and man, she really gets under my skin. And the idea that something not super bad would happen to her, but kind of bad, kind of excites me. It's dark. It's disgusting. But the idea that I'd have a friend and they'd say something also negative about the, this person, that, that would be good in my mind. Or the idea that I would somehow, other persons would, would say something negative about her children or how other people dislike her as well. That's not a sign of love, a sign of, of hatred. Number six, the sixth characteristic here. Sixth characteristic I'm sorry, a fifth characteristic, a fifth characteristic, I'm, I'm jealous of his successes and indifferent to his losses. Number five, I'm jealous of his successes and indifferent to his losses. I have this brother in, in Christ, and, and he has this amazing, successful thing happen to him at work, and, and instead of being rejoicing with him, I'm, I'm jealous, just really bothered by it, or a brother in Christ has a, a, a tragedy befall him, and I, you know it just doesn't really seem to affect me very much. What does Romans 12 tell me? Romans 12 tells me I, I rejoice with those who rejoice, and I weep with those who weep. In other words, uh, the, the person who, who is in Christ in relationship with other believers is in a constant state of, of this tension between rejoicing and weeping as they're engaged in relationships with others who are rejoicing and weeping. If I do not rejoice with my brother, if I do not weep with my brother, I'm, I'm not loving. There's a heart that's the heart of hatred. The same heart that produces outright antagonism and, and hatred. A sixth characteristic is that our relationship is characterized by conflict. Our relationship is characterized by conflict. And maybe you're a person who, who many of your relationships are characterized by conflict. Be assured that is not the heart of sacrificial love. Paul would say in Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Paul in 2 Timothy verse 23 of chapter 2 would say, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Verse 24, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil. If my relationship with you is marked by, by contention, by, by conflict, it is not a relationship marked by self-sacrificing love, is it? James 4, what is the source of quarrels among you? You want, you don't have, you murder. You argue, you fight. Our relationships, relationships must be marked not by conflict, but by peace. Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. James three eighteen, A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A seventh characteristic indicator here that I'm, I'm hating my brother or sister is that my speech hurts her or damages her reputation. My, my speech toward her is, is a harsh speech that, that hurts her as, as she hears the words that I'm saying. In fact, my intention is to damage her, to hurt her, to put her in her place. Or my speech with others damages her and her reputation. That's the heart of a hater, not a heart of a brother or sister in Christ who's loving. 2 Corinthians 12, 20, Paul says, I may find you not as I wish, 
Uh, Perhaps there will be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, disorder. Those are things that must not be in the household of God. Colossians 3.8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. For a person who's going to engage in loving one another, those things should have nothing to do with their speech. And finally, eighth characteristic here, indicator that I hate my brother is that I don't feel a familial obligation to him. Paul, writing to Philemon, tells him as as he's talking about this relationship that that he and, and his former slave Onesimus have, he tells Philemon he's no longer a slave, but he's more than a slave. He's a beloved brother. If you can come into relationships with other Christians and not feel a sense of, of, that's my brother, that's my sister, I have an obligation to them like I would a family member, there's something profoundly wrong. You have a heart that's a heart of self-centeredness, which is a heart of hate, which is a heart of a murder. These are hard things, right? These are hard truths. And the Spirit of God within us, if it's residing with us, tells us, hey, these things are wrong. These things ought not be. This is not who I desire to be. I desire God's grace in this. What does it mean to hate my brother? It means that I'm a murderer. In other words, it means that I'm a bi- that's a big deal. What does it mean to hate my brother? It means that my heart is producing evil. And, and if I see the presence of, of evil, I have to say, this is not from God. This is not the, the, who I'm created to be through the, my conversion experience by God's grace, the miracle, the, the gospel working within me, this is not to be who I am. I'm turning from it. I'm constantly repenting like we talked about last week. Here's the third thing, real quickly. What else does it mean? It means that I'm spiritually dead. It means that I'm spiritually dead. Here's what John writes. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. My sacrificial love for you helps me understand that something has, has transpired in my life. I've, I've moved from death to life. Here's the negative side, though. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone, an entire category here, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So one more time, here's the picture. There's a group of people, believers, who are to be engaged in in sacrificial love. And in in John's mind, the reason this is, and we'll we'll talk more about this next week, is that they have received God's sacrificial love and and their hearts have been transformed as they've placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone. They've they've thrown themselves before God and said, there's nothing in me. All All Hope of relationship with you totally resides in me placing my my trust in you. And so the believer does that. And then as they receive God's forgiveness, the manifestation of, of his sacrificial love, they cannot help but exude that sacrificial love to others. And John says, look, anyone who doesn't have that that mindset, that orientation towards other believers is, is a hater, and we know that haters are murderers, and no murderer has eternal life in him or her. This is a big deal. Some of you have not been rightly prepared to worship this morning. There's someone in your life that just gets under your skin. 
and your attitude towards him or her is not right. I'm not saying they are right. I'm saying your attitude towards him or her is not right. It's a big deal. Hatred toward that person will destroy you spiritually. It will destroy this church. Let me encourage you with this. Let me encourage you to do this. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together in in just a moment. And and the Lord's Supper at our church is is open to all who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus' words here in in Matthew chapter 5 that we looked at, he says, hey, if if there's someone that you're at the altar, you have the sacrifice you're getting ready to offer, uh, leave and, and go and deal with it. Here would be my encouragement to you. Before you partake of the Lord's Supper, I want you and God to discuss anything you need to discuss relationally. And commit to him before you partake of the Lord's Supper this morning that you're going to deal, as God gives you the ability, you're going to deal with, with the things you need to deal with in your, your conflicts with others. Maybe there's forgiveness you need to ask for from someone. Maybe it's, it's, some, maybe it's something that's a hard attitude and you just need to confess that to the Lord. It probably wouldn't be a good idea to, to go to a brother and say, hey, you know, I just want you to know, here, here are five mean things I've been thinking about you. That, that's probably not the way to go there. But, but just, to, hey, God, this is not right. And if there have been relational things that you've done that you would ask, that you would commit before you partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, you would commit to dealing with those as God gives you the grace to ask for forgiveness from others where appropriate and to change your heart orientation by God's enabling if, if, if other means are more appropriate.